0: Everyone, happy New Year, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nas Traveler. This week, we're circling back to one of our very first guests, and I have to say, favorite guests, Jessica Nabongo, who's calling in from Lake Malawi. At what time is it with you right now? It is six thirty-seven p.m. Okay, very good. It's eleven thirty a.m. New York <laughs> time. Jessica, also known as the Catch Me If You Can is in the final stretch of her quest to be the first black woman to visit every UN-recognized country in the world. Right now, she is at 151 countries.
1: Out of 195, right, Jessica? Yes. Oh my gosh. You're so close, honestly. Like, I feel like this last stretch, gonna go by so fast.
0: Yeah, does it sort of feel like now you're just like, all right, this is is easy. I do not feel
2: that way at all. It's funny because I'm like, is this the home stretch yet? Um, A lot of people are like, yeah, you're almost there. And I'm like, "Mm, 44 countries, (laughs) just under nine months. It still feels very far away. Um, But I'm feeling really, really good about it. So,
0: yeah. And so I think the first question we wanted to kind of kick off with is after 151 countries, how much do you actually still love traveling? (laughs)
2: Um, I still love learning about new cultures and meeting local people in new places. I despise planes. Um, I need a chiropractor, so if you can recommend one, (laughs) Um, I am taking recommendations. But yeah, I mean, the flying doesn't get any easier. Last year I flew on, I took 150 flights and I flew almost 230,000 miles. So my body is feeling every single mile. But, you know, I'm still enjoying, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly still enjoying the experiences in country.
1: And looking at the past, I guess, two years that we've known you working on this journey, what has been the biggest learning curve for you through it all?
2: Uh, Probably the logistics piece. Um, You know, I, I run a travel agency. I've been traveling for many, many years, three decades. But traveling and trying to do the logistics of traveling in the South Pacific and West Africa is an actual nightmare. And thanks to Anna, who is my logistics coordinator and the countless hours that she's put into putting together these flight routes um we've got it done but that has been probably the biggest learning curve just really trying to navigate all of the flight connections
1: well and i feel like as someone who follows you on social media like even if you guys plan everything out perfectly like sometimes it doesn't always quite work out and i'm specifically talking about your like bag debacle of the last 3 weeks which i know has been a nightmare <laughs> but can you just talk about that and what happens when you you know plan two months of travel and then the first thing goes wrong?
2: (laughs) That's so funny. You know, first, let me say I love my followers because so many people were on Twitter trying to help me and were really, you know, really, really engaged and involved in me trying to retrieve my luggage. So, um, so yes, I was after like a crazy stint going from Johannesburg to Detroit to New York to Miami to Detroit to Saudi Arabia. My bag got lost at the start of my one month trip. And luckily, 22 days later, it has made its way home to Detroit. So I will give it a big hug when I get home. But as you can imagine, it was a little bit of a nightmare because when I landed in Riyadh and I, it was clear my bag wasn't there, I wasn't upset or anything. It's annoying, but it's like, ah, that's fine. It'll be here tomorrow because there's two flights coming in every day. No big deal. I really I wasn't that pressed. But then it didn't come. And then there was silence from all of the airlines. And that's when I began getting upset because, you know, because of the time difference, I'm trying to call all of the different airlines. No one is giving me an answer, no one knows where my bag is. You know, I knew that I was looking at one month of travel. And the thing is, I knew if they didn't get it to me during that window, I was in Saudi Arabia, that it was a wrap because playing catch me if you can with luggage, not that fun, especially because I was traveling um, throughout Eastern Africa. So um, it's the first time it's ever happened to me. Let me just say that. But what I will say is that I had a huge learning lesson out of that prior to travel, The day before I flew, I was having my general anxiety around packing for one month and I was watching YouTube and this video came up of a teacher who is wearing the same dress for 100 days. And I said, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that. Fast forward two days later, I lost (laughs) my luggage, right? right, And then, you know, so I sort of rebuilt my wardrobe and I had way less things that I had initially packed because my initial bag I think was around 28 kilos or about 60 pounds, something like that. And so I felt like the universe was teaching me a lesson to say, hey, you don't need to pack all of those things. And so in February, I'm traveling for three weeks and I'm doing a packing challenge. I'm only taking my carry-on yeah. and I'm only going to take, yeah, three weeks. I'm only going to take like five outfits because that's basically what I've been cycling through without my luggage. So
0: Oh, so this is interesting. So y- usually you actually take a checked bag, a car- you don't try and rely on a carry-on. I always wonder if people who are doing these sorts of mammoth journeys, whether, because I'm also just like obsessed with packing, um, <laughs> whether you just limit yourself to say a week's worth of clothes and you just do a lot of laundry when you're on the move?
2: If I'm traveling over two to three weeks, I generally have a checked bag. I do know some other people who are doing it with 10 kilos and I'm just like, I don't even understand because my carry on bags are like 20 kilos. (laughs) So some people out here are definitely doing the backpack thing. That's not really my lifestyle. But in February, I hope everybody tunes in for this Packing with Jessica challenge. I'm definitely going to be limiting to five outfits. Let's say five outfits for three weeks and see how this goes.
1: So impressed Um, already. (laughs) No, and I, I think it's been really great to watch your journey because you're super upfront on social media, especially on Instagram stories about how difficult this is. And even when it's losing your bag, I think the budgeting part of it has been really interesting for me to watch because this isn't like some grand sponsored tour of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would just love to hear about how that budgeting is working. I know that followers have invested in your trip and how that logistics works.
2: Yeah. So um, one of the top questions I get is, how are you paying for this? Which is also one of my least favorite questions because I do find it invasive, but um, everyone assumes that it is a sponsored trip. This is not sponsored in any way. I run my travel agency, so I get income there. People, as you mentioned, have been so generous and have donated to the cause. I think at this point, over 400 people have donated to the journey. So the community has been so supportive. I have a couple sponsors on board. Google Pixel has come on in such a major way, which has been incredible. I work with hotel partners. So I would say at this point, about 70% of my hotels are comped, which is amazing. So it's mostly that right now I'm on the hook for flights and ground transportation and meals, which comes out to be a lot. So last year I spent nineteen thousand six hundred and eighty eight dollars and 27 cents on flights and four hundred and forty nine thousand miles which is a lot and so obviously with miles i'm able to keep the cost down because the four hundred and forty nine thousand miles is probably worth around fifteen to twenty thousand in itself so um yeah that's you know between donations the few sponsors that I have and using miles and just using other earned income that's how I'm doing it you know I'm strapped for cash all the time so I'm always like do I need to pay ten dollars for that can I get it cheaper and so you said
0: the total cost of flights for last year was around nineteen thousand dollars yes how many countries did you visit last year Last
2: year, I visited 65 countries, of which I believe
0: 58 were new. So, all right, my maths is very terrible. (laughs) But breaking that down, that makes me think that actually $19,000 isn't crazy for that number of countries. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: yes, you sound like my friend Robert, who was saying the same thing. yeah, of course. So, um, the four hundred and forty nine thousand miles slash points, I think that has to come into the equation as well because that's like from my spending. So, you know, I've mentioned before I mostly use credit cards so that I have points. So that four hundred and forty nine thousand represents another fifteen to twenty thousand dollars from like everyday spending from you know, so, I feel like that has to be factored in as well. But yes, we are very adept at finding cheap flights. I'm very good at collecting all of my miles. So I'm definitely able to keep the actual cash money spending down um, using a lot of tips and tricks that I've developed over the years.
1: In talking about those countries that you visited last year, is there anywhere that you wish you had spent more or even less time visiting?
2: Ooh. Ooh, that's a good question. So more, I really, really, really wish I was able to spend more time in Jordan. I was there for six days. I could have stayed for two months. Um, It was definitely one of my favorite trips from last year, like hands down. And where I could have spent less time, you know what? Honestly, there wasn't anywhere that I went last year where I felt like, eh, I want to go home now. I didn't feel that way (laughs) anywhere, actually. (laughs) Luckily.
0: What was it about Jordan that kind of captured your heart so much?
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: So Jordanian people
2: are just super, super warm and open and welcoming. I love Middle Eastern hospitality and there they actually drink alcohol. They actually um, produce great wine as well, so that's a plus. But Petra is phenomenal, and Wadi Rum, which is a, a desert south of Petra, is it's otherworldly. So there's just, the landscapes in Jordan are so varied. You also have the Dead Sea, you have the Red Sea. Um, you can go snorkeling or diving. You can hike through Petra, you can do the desert, you can also hang out in Amman, which is a really cool city and has a really fun nightlife. So it's just, Jordan, for me, it's just all-encompassing with great people, great food, and great options for adventure.
0: So you mentioned nightlife, and I know, I mean, you've come on the podcast before to talk about solo travel and the highs and the lows of that. Mm -hmm. Um, When you land somewhere that you don't know and you don't necessarily have any contacts on the ground. How do you get to experience that nightlife? How do you kind of amp yourself up to experience it alone or to meet new people?
2: So, you know what, honestly, I'm super lucky. And because of my network from doing grad school in London, my network from friends in the US and my platform, there hasn't been a situation in the last year, I would say, where I didn't know someone in a country. And the best part about being connected with people before I get there is that when I land, for some reason, they usually don't feel like strangers. So for example, I was just in Land and had a ball with people who I just met, but As soon as we met, we just rolled with it and had so much fun. And it was like a group of friends who'd known each other for 10 years. So I feel like even though so much of the travel that I'm doing now is solo, I've been very, very fortunate to be able to hook up with local people immediately. So on my Instagram, before I traveled to any country, I put up a little message saying where I'm going and having people connect me. And that really has made it super easy for me to connect with people. Because I will say for solo travel, especially if you're kind of starting out, it can be difficult to get out. And especially if you're doing nightlife, it can be odd. You know, you're like standing in a corner with your gin and tonic, kind of looking around, feeling a little bit awkward. (laughs) And in those instances, I think for new solo travelers, I highly suggest hostels. I don't really stay at them that much. But I think if you go on and you look at ratings and rankings, You can find a lot of great hostels. You can find private rooms and hostels. And that's really a great way for solo travelers to be able to find built-in friends while you travel. So that would be my recommendation.
1: I have, I feel like this is going to, take a brief turn uh, on the on the negative <laughs> side. Um, are you going to trigger me? <laughs> no. Well, no. I mean, I think that it's been interesting, again, to like watch you on Instagram because you have 75, almost 75,000 people who are watching your journey and commenting and interacting with you. And as with all things on the Internet, not everyone is positive about either where you're going or what you're doing. Everyone has something to say, sometimes great and sometimes not. How have you learned to deal with the negative comments or just random trolls that seem to pop up (laughs) sometimes?
2: The focus of my platform is to show people that we're more alike than we are different and to bring the everyday life of ordinary people in every country in the world to the forefront and show those images to people on my platform. And I think the challenge with this idea of like, not traveling to certain countries because of governments, that's what, if it's an oppressive government, that's exactly what they want. They want the people to suffer. Tourism is such a valuable industry for so many people in so many countries. So if your political stance is, I'm not going to go, that government isn't suffering. It's the people who are housekeepers at hotels. It's waiters at restaurants. It's taxi drivers that are going to suffer if we don't go and visit these countries. So I think we have to, we definitely can and we absolutely should disconnect those two things. Tourism has nothing to do with politics.
1: Well, and I think it's really interesting, especially when it comes to countries like Saudi Arabia and North Korea, because because the premise of your trip is that you're visiting every UN-recognized oh, country in the world, regardless gosh. of your personal politics or opinion, you're going And so Lolly brought up a good question, we were talking about this earlier, which is, you know, through this travel and those comments and all of that, has it changed your view on being an American at all?
2: Um, yes, (laughs) Uh, I was, uh, I recently saw, actually today I saw the list of level four countries for American citizens. But what I will say is before this, this journey, right, I lived abroad for seven years, I did a master's in international development at the London School of Economics. So I already had a worldview and my family is Ugandan, you know, and I'd already traveled extensively outside of the U.S. So I already had a greater understanding of the world that isn't tainted by American propaganda. But yeah, I think the one thing I will say about the travel advisory list and what people need to remember about this list is, a lot of times it's politically motivated. It's not based on the safety for US citizens abroad all of the time. A lot of it is literally based on politics and who they're warring with and things of that nature. And that's to be kept in mind. So the other day someone said, are there any places you're afraid to travel to or is there anywhere you've been where you've been afraid? And I'm like, no, (laughs) because I'm not afraid of the big bad wolf that the U.S. is painting this picture of that exists in all of these countries because the big bad wolf isn't there. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some um, countries. Well, I think every country in the world has unsafe places in the same way that no country in the world is completely unsafe. Everywhere has safe places and unsafe places. I go to the safe places. And, you know, I work with local people on the ground to make sure that the places that I am going are safe. But you know, we have to be very aware of the fact that we also are receiving our daily doses of propaganda as well about the world outside of our borders.
0: And so I can't help but ask because it is such a place (laughs) of is such a mysterious place to anyone who lives outside of it. What was your experience of North Korea like? (laughs)
2: Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked. So honestly, the most interesting thing to me about being in North Korea was how normal it felt. Okay, you don't have adverts anywhere at all. And everyone is wearing a pin, which has leaders on it, which I became mildly obsessed with. um, Because if you're above the age of 14, you have to wear this pin. And of course, there's tons of monuments to the leaders. But other than that, like we we went to the subway, you see people just going to work, you see people riding their bicycles, you see couples in the park, you see families in the park. You know, we went to the supermarket, you see people doing their grocery shopping. You know, I spoke to a couple of people. If I spoke Korean, I could have spoken to more people, but it's definitely not this place that everybody has in mind they're regular people as well. Um, You know, like we laughed with North Koreans and things like that. I think things that people would think that won't happen there. Pyongyang is a beautiful city. It's very colorful. It's on a river. We went to the mass games, which is one of the most incredible displays that I've ever seen. You have a hundred thousand people in sync doing these amazing dances. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting because it was pretty normal.
1: I have a question specifically. I think this might be a, one of our wrap ups, but it's a very positive ending to a story uh, that um, <laughs> you talked about in one of our very first podcasts. And it was an, a racist experience that you had with a hotel marketing team. And a lot has changed since then. And I just think in this like era of cancel culture, it's such a great story. So can you catch us up on what happened and has happened since last, I guess, January?
2: Yes, thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, so I won't really <laughs> rehash it too much. Um, but yeah, so I had a little, a little rift with the Four Seasons, basically one of their properties, uh last january told me that my demographic wasn't in line with their brand and you know i wrote a medium article it went viral corporate apologized and when corporate apologized to me i said no that's not enough like i want to get on the phone let's talk about what you're really gonna do right so i really did challenge them and i have to say It has been an absolutely phenomenal experience working with them because, and as they said, oh, what this person said to you, is it in line with our brand? And I'm like, ah, sure, whatever. Um, But it's true. Like Having worked with them for the last several months to increase, not even increase, to start (laughs) um, partnerships that they were doing with influencers of color has been phenomenal because they've truly made a commitment to it. They've made it clear to all of their hotel branches that diversity is important in marketing. And we've seen the change. We've seen on their Instagram handle that they are using more uh, influencers of color. In December, they invited me down to Miami for what they called the Four Seasons Pop Down around Miami-Basil. And it was an amazing Weekend Because I got to meet a lot of people from corporate who I'd been working with for the last few months and I got to meet very, very, very senior people at Four Seasons corporate and getting to meet them in person was just great because it really did prove that this was one person within their company that felt that way, but it wasn't how everyone felt. Um, And I think the best thing for them was like they were grateful to me, even though it may have been seen it may have been seen as embarrassing for them. They really took it to heart and they really, truly have committed to change. And we've seen that. Um, And I think it's a great example for other brands. Like if something like this happens, it's fine. Just acknowledge it. Don't ignore it. You know, apologize but then really work to make a difference. Um, Four Seasons has done that. It is now a brand that I definitely can stand behind and I hope other people stand behind. I know, um, you know, I told the story uh, on a Mauritius post recently in December and a lot of people are like, hey, yeah, this is amazing. We love seeing the full circle. Now we can go out and support this brand. Um, And I think it's really, really important to support brands and spend money with brands that actually care about diversity. And I think they have proven that they do care about diversity, Um, not just because of what happened, because we've seen companies um, who have these very public things happen to them and they just apologize and move on and do nothing. But it's clear to me that it is important to them.
0: Well, that is a wonderful turn of events. Positive note. To start wrapping things up on, I think we have one last question for you, which it's probably gonna be very hard for you to answer. Um which is what country are you most excited to visit in 2019?
2: Ooh, I know that answer. Ooh. That
0: answer
2: is Iran. Oh, uh, I am so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Um thankful for my Ugandan passport which gives me 15 days visa free. Um I will be traveling to Iran for Persian New Year in March. So I am so excited. Right now on average I'm spending 4 days in a country but I'm actually going to spend 8 days in Iran. So
0: I'm super excited. And so are you going just to Tehran or are you going to be traveling around? Oh, I'm going everywhere.
2: (laughs) I'm going everywhere that I can get to in that eight days. So from people I know, um, Sal, who I think you guys have talked to, maybe not on the podcast, but definitely you've interviewed him for the web. He's been to every country in the world. And a couple other people that I know say that Iranians are the nicest people in the world. So between that, the history, like Persian history is just amazing the literature the architecture the textiles um, the food there's just so many reasons that have me excited
1: to get to Iran
0: oh my god the food I'm just (laughs) going to live so vicariously through
1: your account (laughs) amazing well if people want to follow your journey in Iran and Malawi and Detroit and wherever you end up in the next year where can they find you you can follow me on
2: all channels at the Catch Me if you can. Amazing.
0: I'm at Ohay, hey their mayor. I'm at Lale Hannah. And I also just want to briefly note that this week on Friday, January 18th, we are actually going to be in DC doing our first ever live podcast recording at our DC Facebook meetup.
1: Yes. And also, if you're going to the Women's March in D.C., please let Lolly and I know either on Twitter or Instagram because we'd love to either run into you or support each other through this weekend. Have a great week.